Hi, and welcome to Solo Segment Search Chat. I'm Tim Peter. In this episode of Solo Segment Search Chat, Solo Segment CEO Steve Zaker and I talk about the effects of Apple's app tracking transparency and what that means for B2B companies. We explore the connection between B2B and Paco Underhill's pioneering work in retail. And we take a look at the data that actually matters to make your B2B website work for your business. All that and more on the latest solo segment search chat, coming at you right about now. Well, hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. Uh, especially the lively conversation we always have before this uh, podcast. Always gets me in the right. We really should just start recording we before, <laughs> before we, we should. <laughs> it make for an interesting, uh, it make for an interesting version of the show. Um, Indeed, hope, hopefully not more interesting than what we do already. But you know, of course, no. This is the best part. This is <laughs> there you the go. Part. Perfect. Perfect. So, based on the fact that we were chatting ahead of time, Steve, mm-hmm. we were talking about you know, uh, well, I won't say what we were talking about. I'm going to ask you a very specific question. Sure. Who's Paco Underhill? Paco Underhill. Well, he wrote a fascinating book. And um, his book, um, Why We Buy, and it's The Science of Shopping, I think was the subtitle on it. Yeah. And uh, he wrote this book back late 90s. And um, interestingly, this is part of, when you look at the Genesis story of Solo Segment, it's part of why we exist. Um, Mike Moran and I worked together at IBM uh, back in the early 2000s uh, for a couple of years together. And, um, you know, Paco Underhill's book uh, really helped inform some of the stuff we were doing in digital. And the reason is what Paco did was he talked about basically the behaviors, right? The behaviors that buyers exhibit is kind of the way to net it. Now, I'm not doing it justice. You should go read the book. But um, what's interesting is this actually came up in a conversation I had earlier this week with uh, one of our business partners. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were talking about some work that he had done. Uh, he coincidentally happened to be at IBM doing this work. But this notion of the science of shopping, right, um, mm-hmm. is tremendously important because when you look at the early work that was done on shopping behavior, now we're talking real world, in real IRL, right, in real life, people yeah, in stores walking around. People uh, in a store, kind yep. of Pre-digital. Um, what and they looked at- certainly pre-COVID. Yeah, definitely pre-COVID. <laughs> you know- what were people doing in the store that, say, made it either more likely or less likely to buy? And what yeah. kinds of shoppers were there? Were there shoppers who were there with a purpose? Were there shoppers who were kind of meandering around? And it's this behavior that really informed shopping science more so than any of the things I think we think today about what makes us smarter about what people want, right? The Amazon model is, I know everything about you as a person. And that seems to be the model that that everyone has adopted. But I think what Paco mm-hmm. Underhill showed uh, over 20 years ago was that it's actually the behaviors that are more important. And the reason Paco right. Underhill's work is so relevant certainly to our point of view on the market, but mostly to all of our customers, is because Paco didn't need to know who you were as a person. And in B2B, that is like the single greatest problem. Who is this person on my website, right? Because 
they're not, you know, they weren't here. They haven't been here before. They don't put things in carts. So I don't really get to know them, who mm-hmm. they are, what their pain is, et cetera. And so when you're faced with this harsh reality of you're never really going to know who's on your website, Paco Underhill's work and this notion of focusing on visitor behaviors as opposed to the visitor themselves, I think is just groundbreaking. And by the way, groundbreaking 20 years after it was published. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and what's what's funny about that from my perspective is, you know, that what he was talking about then was a consequence of the reality, right? You kind of couldn't know who people were, so you right. had to pay attention to what they did. Yes. And, you know, in digital, we, over the years, have been able to acquire more and more data and more mm. and more and more data until we thought we could know everything about the customer. But recently, we've seen lots of evidence that that may not be a winning strategy. I, you know, <laughs> I'm reminded of anything happened in the last week or two, Steve, yeah, that I'm says maybe you don't want a lot of personal data? Personal data, yeah. So, you know, I think we've we've talked a lot, certainly, on this podcast about kind of the coming, you know, cookie apocalypse, right? Where yeah. it's going to get harder to track people. It's going to get harder to gather first party information. All of the regulatory schemes that have been inve- you know, developed over the past probably five to 10 years, whether that's GDPR mm-hmm. or some of the US states, right. other countries CPRA, going on. whatever, yeah, yeah. You yeah. got it. Um, they're all like designed to protect humans, people out there, folks you want to get money from, uh, you know, protect their personal information and make it more difficult to get that information and to manage that information and to share that information. And, you know, there's been this kind of looming, you know, boogeyman off there in the dark corner of uh, our business uh, or of everybody's business that says, well, someday they're going to get serious about this. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, Google is going to be changing some things, but maybe not. And they're kind of dragging their feet. But one company that got serious about this recently was Apple. And over the past two years or so, they've gotten really serious about protecting the privacy of people who use their technology. They're mostly their iOS devices, but certainly all of their devices. They've gotten very serious about that. And to the extent that basically it's difficult, if not impossible, to really identify the humans. And so what happened... I'm not sure if it was earlier this week or late, late last week. I guess it was late last week. Um, what happened was, uh, you know, Facebook announced their earnings and their stock price is <laughs> down like 20, 25%. Now think about right. that. One of the right. most valuable companies on the planet lost tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of market value because of data privacy. Right. Because right. of right. this thing that used to be in the future, right, that, oh, someday it's going to be hard to track people. And that day is actually today. Right. right. We yeah. saw that they, in they, Facebook's earnings. They said that out loud. By the way, depending on when you're listening to this, this actually uh, was recorded right <laughs> after Facebook's earnings call. It might be earlier this quarter, but the, the point still stands that, you know, right. yeah, they they basically said right out loud, hey, we we definitely got bit by this, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, it was ugly. Uh, yeah, uh, it's really and, and bad when you see Mark Zuckerberg yeah. out there selling pencils on the street corner. <laughs> it's, it's a sad day for tech, um, when billionaires are humbled. Um, but you know, but, but it's clear, it's clear that, um, like the thing we've all been worried about that personal data was going to, it's happening, right? This is it's right. now, right. the future is now. And so this is something that, um, while I don't take any comfort in this, uh, in being right about this, you know, this notion of focusing on, focusing on behavioral data certainly was the right 
call for our company. And it's certainly the right call for our customers because if you can strip out all the information about the the person themselves and really just focus on the behavior, you know, go back and look at Paco's work, right? It, you know, it is clear that you can get a tremendous amount of information about intent, uh, about goals, uh, about areas of interest, just by looking at what people do. And if you look at about at, at what enough people do, you can begin to model pathways to success, getting somebody to their goal without having to know who they are. Well, and it's the other thing I love about predictive data. First of all, yes, a hundred thousand percent yes. But the other thing I love about it, I should say, but and the other thing I love about it is that it's so predictive. You know, yeah. one of my favorite favorite stories is you know, uh, and this goes way back. Uh, if you remember uh, the Nielsen families, right? These are the people who mm-hmm. uh, the ratings companies paid attention to to see what people watched on television. And in the early days of being a Nielsen family, you did it in a logbook. You actually wrote down what you watched. Like literally right? in a book. <laughs> literally in a book. And they would call you. Uh, I can't remember if it was once a week or once a month. Uh, this is a very long time ago. And they would just ask you to read back what you watched, right? But you're just reading right. off of what you wrote. Uh, what you wrote down. And then they switched to something in the, oh, I'm going to get the years wrong here, late 70s, early 80s, to something called a people meter, a little box that attached to your television that tracked what you watched. Sure. And the funny thing about this was the ratings for things like Masterpiece Theater and 60 Minutes and, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, the McNeil era news hour or things like that, you know, thoughtful, deep, heavy stuff, all sure. got worse. All got right. worse. And the ratings for things like Cops and, you know, The Simpsons and Married with Children all got much, much better, right? Right. Because what people were saying they were watching and what they actually watched were different, right? It makes total sense. And we were talking about this before. It's not necessarily that they were lying. You know, they Mm. intended to watch the really important stuff or the really useful stuff or the really valuable stuff. But, you know, they were sitting there on the couch and the next show came on. And what are you going to do? That's what was on. What are you do? So they just watch kept the watching, Simpsons. Right. Watch the Simpsons. Watch Married with Children. Anyway, sure. the point is that what people do is a far better, better predictor of what they say yeah. they will, uh, what they will, <laughs> what people do is a better predictor of what they will do than what people say they will do or their demographic information, their psychographic sure. information, their firmographic information. Right. You know, those are useful as a way to get at some interesting insights about them, but they're more color commentary than they are the actual thing that people do. Yeah, so, absolutely. That you know, data yeah, is like ground truth, right? Right, yeah. right. So given that, you know, can you talk a little bit, and I know we don't want to get too deep into the secret sauce, but, you know, talk a little bit about why what we do with behavioral data and why we care so much about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll start with kind of the obvious, an obvious example of why behavioral data is so, so powerful. And yep. um, that is to say, if you could watch everybody who comes to your website, like literally stand behind their chair, watch over their shoulder as they're navigating your website, um, you would learn very quickly whether they're achieving their goals or not achieving. Oh yeah. Right. You'd see them kind of going through the menu, hunting for the right stuff, maybe searching, but the behaviors, like it's just a very intuitive to humans, what a frustrating, you know, journey that never ends looks like. (laughs) And and you can pick that up immediately. 
Yeah. And so that's kind of the first, you know, as, as we were thinking about our product, it's, we know that that happens. And by the way, I think anybody who's ever done any user experience work and done any lab work or, or, uh, you know, kind of secret shopper sort of work, they've seen this sort of behavior, uh, exist, you know, when, when people are trying to use your new design or use your, uh, new, uh, shopping experience. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's the first thing humans intuitively know what these bad experiences, what bad journeys look like. And so for us, it was just, well, what then does that look like in the data stream? Because everything that happens in the browser window, everything that happens on a mobile screen, you gather data about that at, you know, back at the source, right? Some server somewhere is logging all that information. Our technology uses a piece of JavaScript to kind of track what people do. And again, we're not tracking the person, we're tracking the behavior of the visitor. So again, we don't care. It's Tim or Steve, right? It's just the behavior of the human. And so by looking at those data streams, you can essentially watch over the shoulder and see what people are doing, how they're interacting with the content. And of course, if you look at what they're doing and whether they achieve their goals or not, you can begin to develop models and train, you know, using machine learning, right? Train models to really understand what good behavior looks like and what you know, unsuccessful behavior. And that really is actually what we think about, right? We think, are these success behaviors or failure behaviors? Yeah. And of course, if we see a failure behavior, we want to, you know, one, give somebody a path to success, but two, tell the model, hey, this is a bad behavior. And of course, if if the model sees success behaviors, you want to reinforce that over time. So there's lots of ways that by looking at the behavioral data, by looking at the, you know, the actions of people as they're on your website, you can begin to understand the pathways to success, the behaviors that lead to success. And the alternative, of course, is you can see those behaviors and those pathways that lead to failure. Okay, so obviously, the folks we talk to, the customers we talk to, tend to be large enterprise B2B folks. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, shopping behaviors. So, (laughs) right, if if I'm one of these folks and I'm listening to you right now and I'm saying, yeah, but that does, that's not what happens in our world because people aren't buying things on our website. This isn't an e-commerce situation. You know, these are, mm-hmm. these are you know, people buying for their enterprise. It's a totally different thing. Indeed. There what is a transaction. That, yeah. So there is no add to cart button. Correct. You get right, right, but. right. I'm not going to pull out a credit card and slap it down <laughs> and buy this thing, right? Yeah, buy a million-dollar piece of software. Um <laughs> But there are transactions occurring on the most non-transactional site every day. And the tra- and, and by the way, our B2B customers, they want those transactions. So there are very valuable transactions. Transactions yep. like filling out a contact form so you can have a sales rep call me, downloading a white paper or a case study, right? So there are lots of those sorts of transactional moments that occur on site. So even though yeah. you're not a commerce site, there are still a significant amount of transactions that you'd like to see happen. Now, is that going to happen every visit? Probably not. You've got a high consideration product. It's going to take months for this person to, to figure out whether they, it satisfies their business need. They're going to have a team of other people come to your website and look at your content. But if you can increase the likelihood that people are going to get the information that they need, you're going to increase the likelihood that they're going to kind of go to one of those transactions. And we see it in our data. We looked at searchers and their behaviors related to marketing calls to action. And we found that marketing, I'm sorry, searchers are 87% 
more likely to engage with a marketing call to action, that download the white paper, that contact form, whatever that call to action is, than non-searchers. Now, do yeah. they do it every session? Yeah, probably not. They, right. they get comfortable, right. they progress. But one of the keys is, you know, one of the key things I think most website owners, marketers, IT people would get is, even if you can earn one more click, especially for the 60, 70, 80% oh, yeah. of the people who bounce from your website. Yeah. That's actually that first click beyond the first page is actually the most valuable click you have on your website. Sure. And it sure. almost doesn't matter what it is. Would we love it to be some <laughs> high value, you know, high value click, but don't get them to leave is kind of the first strategy. Get them to engage with the content and then you can help guide them and nurture them to the right place. So yes, um, a lot of these models uh, that we've talked about were kind of developed in the real world retail space, but those behavioral models actually are a much better analog for B2B digital than the digital retail models. Yep. Yep. Makes and this is sense. a really important point because, I mean, I was at a, a conference two days ago, a RevTech conference, and it was really fascinating. I was kind of there to get a sense of what sort of technologies are people using for to engage website visitors and progress them? Mm -hmm. Lots of great technology there. A lot of that technology had made the leap from consumer digital experiences mm -hmm. to B2B digital experiences. Yep. And all of that technology either relied upon personal information or relied upon proxies of personal information. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. I can't figure out who you are, maybe I can figure out what company you work for. Yeah. But regardless, you know, I'll just make the point again, this, this, this like reliance on B2C digital technologies is actually, in our opinion, not the way to go. See Facebook. Uh, and instead, <laughs> you know, what companies should be doing is actually going all the way back and looking at those early retail models that, that relied upon the behavioral data because they're better predictors of what people are trying to achieve, and that data can actually make it more likely that you're going to lead somebody to a successful outcome. Makes total sense. Before we wrap up, I, I and I hate to hit you with math late in the day, but I'm I want to ask you a question because this is something we've talked about before, and I don't remember the number rough number. What percentage of visitors on a website currently? are people successfully identifying? Like with the best tools out there, do you remember the percent? Yeah, in the B2B space, yeah. um, identifying the people, it's 5% or less. So that's kind right. of, and and by the way, that includes a lot of the kind of the data enrichment that goes around, ABM technologies, et cetera. Yeah. But, but if you're getting 5% of your visitors, that's kind of a high watermark. Now, that's kind of a COVID number. It was a little bit higher pre-COVID when people yeah, were in offices, sure. right. et cetera. Right. So, but right now, 5% is kind of the number that we hear from our customers. And if people were to increase that, you know, 400%. <laughs> sure. They still wouldn't know who 80% of the people are. Yeah, absolutely. Like why would you why would you ignore that many people, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about behavioral models is it scoops everybody up. Now, does it work better? The more, you know, pages you look at, the better, you know, you're able to oh, say, "Oh, sure. You know, they looked at this topic, they looked at this industry. Oh, now I have a better sense." You bet. But everybody's exhibiting some behavior at all times and you can see that. Makes total sense. Steve, any last parting words of wisdom before we let yeah. people get on with the rest of their day? 
Yeah, steer long and hard at Facebook um, because, you know, <laughs> if if there is a future is now moment, it's the fa- it's what fa- happened to Facebook. And, you know, while most companies don't have their business model, like 100% dedicated to personal information like Facebook is, most marketers have 100% of their spend dedicated to figuring out who people are. And so what if you lost a quarter of your effectiveness in a day or more, right? So I think this is a real moment for marketing, which is what happened to Facebook is going to happen to all of us. And will it fundamentally kill our company's business model? No. But will it fundamentally change how marketing gets done? You betcha. And the folks who have been in denial, again, go look at that chart. Just pull up the stock price chart of Facebook. It's a scary, (sighs) scary proposition. Well, and on that, that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say either that or start getting ready to sell pencils on a corner. Uh, <laughs> uh, with that, uh, thank you as always. We want to remind people you can find information about Solo Segment and Solo Segment Search Box at solosegment.com. Uh, just feel free to check out and do a search while you're there and see how it works in practice. Uh, Steve, best. thank you as ever and uh, look forward to catching you next time. Thanks very much, Tim. Search Chat is brought to you by Solo Segment. Solo Segment focuses on site search analytics and AI-driven content discovery to improve search results, increase customer satisfaction, and unlock revenue for your company. Make your search better and learn more at solosegment.com. If you liked the show, please go ahead and subscribe to us. You can find our episodes at solosegment.com slash podcast or on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcatcher happens to be. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash solo segment, on Twitter using the Twitter handle at solo segment, or you can drop us an email at info at solo Again, that's info at solo With that, my name is Tim Peter. I hope you have a great rest of the week and we'll look forward to talking with you next time on Search Chat. Take care, everybody. Thank you.